Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's Oops, I Missed Church, the podcast. Today's conversation was recorded this week, just earlier in December. Actually, on the very first day of December 2021. I hope you had a lovely Thanksgiving, and I also can't tell you just how honored I was to speak with today's guest. His name is Jared Morris. He is a local musician and songwriter. He's played in a number of bands, toured all over America, and I had no idea his story was so appropriate for Oops, I Missed Church and the platform I desire to create as a place where you can come and talk about your upbringing, specifically the faith aspect. What were you taught to believe as a child, and how did it shape you? Please enjoy my conversation with Jared Morris. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Here we are once again. It's Oops, I Missed Church. Another lovely Sunday afternoon. And I am not alone. With me today, a arguably local San Antonio celebrity, <laughs> Jared Morris. Jared, how the heck are you? I'm, I'm good. I'm doing real good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here, man. You were telling me about your show. And uh, have you ever listened to K- KKYX here? Mm, I don't know. I've not listened to the radio here as much as I should. It's a it's a local country station that plays old country and kind of has always had the same okay. kind of. Like, Do you know their call numbers? It's six eighty a.m. and I think it's one hundred four point nine FM. Oh wow, that's the hot country hit station in yeah. Iowa. Yeah, it's it's a country broadband, but mm. uh, they uh, on Sunday mornings they have the like cattle roundup, which is strangely fun to listen to. Uh, they talk about cattle prices. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, you know, goat prices yeah. and whatever. It's great. Just livestock. Yeah, it's like the roundup from all around the area, and they talk about how their Saturday markets That's fun. Went. It's great. Did you ever get, have you ever ranched or farmed at all? No, all my family did. That's where oh, nice. all my family came from in the panhandle. My granddad came from, uh, his, his father was one of five brothers who had land up there. Uh, Jinx, these are the brothers' names, Jinx. Booger, what? Fats, uh, nicknames. Jones right? and Walter. Walter's the only one who didn't get a nickname. Wow. Jinx, Fats, Fats Booger, Booger, Jones and Walter. That's your uncles. <laughs> My great uncles. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Or grand uncles. Yeah. Man, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um. So, how long have you been in San Antonio? And do you live here now, or do you live in Austin? I live here. Okay. Um. I have. Uh, I was born to Texas people in Florida, which I'm not Whoa. super proud of, but my dad had Florida's a job funny. out there. <laughs> yeah. I lived there for a year. It's funny because when I was little, I, and I moved back to Texas when I was six, moved back to San Antonio, oh, okay. I thought it was cool to tell people I was from Florida. <laughs> you know, like Florida, I remember having the idea that Florida and California were cool places to be from when I was right. like six years old, and it's not. And as time has gone on, it seems like... Yeah. Both of those places have become more easy oh, to make fun true. of. Oh, that's true. I didn't think you about know? that, but in Texas, you don't want to tell people that you're from California either. Yeah. 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 And still, I'd rather Florida's be interesting because it's, I mean, I, rem- I lived there for a year after high school. That was the first place I lived, like, leaving home. Mm-hmm. And it kind of feels like everyone there 
is in this vacation mindset, you know, and not the locals necessarily, <laughs> but like so many people that move there or it's just such a transient place. It where, is, you yeah. know, like so many well, people five are not Floridas. from Florida. Yeah. So the yeah. Florida that, that my family still lives in, my dad's side of the family is like the South, the Panhandle, the South Alabama portion oh, okay, of Florida, yeah. which is a very That's different, a totally Florida different world from like yeah. Fort Lauderdale, which is like two story, the Bronx. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, it, it's a, it's a weird place. It's really strange. Yeah. And then if you go just like in the middle of the, yeah. like. That's where all the hillbillies are. Yeah. Real hillbillies. And it's so strange, It's man. very strange. I lived in Sarasota and that was like a. That's down by Fort Lauderdale, right? Kinda, no, it's down by like, it's, that's where I was it's born. It's like an hour south of Tampa. Yeah. So I was born in Tampa. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cause my dad, I was, li- I moved away two months later and then we moved back here when I was six, but, um. I actually went back to Pensacola when I was 16 to go to Bible college. Oh, wow. Yeah. How fitting. Yeah. Oops, I missed church. <laughs> Oops, I missed Bible college. That's right. Yeah. At 16? Yeah. So were you homeschooled? I was, yep. Oh, hallelujah. Yeah. I was homeschooled till fifth grade. Oh, man. Yeah, so I was starting in fourth grade, and then uh, my mom remarried, because uh, my dad died when I was really little, mm. and then my mom remarried, we moved to Alaska, Whoa. So like, not only am I homeschooled, I'm in this place that's extremely dark and extremely cold yeah. and extremely foreboding. We're in a very insular, like cult, like, you know, yeah, lit, like growing up in a cult. It's a very strange yeah. culture in Alaska yeah. as a whole. Oh, it like, is. Yeah. I knew a 70 year old man there at the time who had never had a driver's license because he didn't want the government, government to know. No, <laughs> he was driving his little <laughs> Nissan pickup. Oh my goodness. So th- I got paralyzed in a motorcycle wreck on the way home from Alaska. How old were you? 18. Oh, it was like God, two weeks wow. before I turned 19. Oh, wow. Yeah, but my because my mom had moved up to Alaska for the summer, yeah. and my dad and I went to visit her on this like father-son motorcycle trip, and it was amazing. That is nuts. Yeah, it was so fun. So much of my life revolving around the time in Alaska was absolutely fucking bonkers. Yeah. Like, it was just a weird... How old were you? Like, what, So I was age? 12, and like... So my, my brother and I... That's a wild age to it be was there, too. completely wild. Because yeah. just that middle school type, like, growing into yeah. puberty. So my, <laughs> my, my brother and I now, we're the only siblings, and we're entirely estranged from our family because it's oh, very wow. much like a crazy fundamentalist cult. Mm. Um, but when my, when my mom remarried, she had talked to this guy on the phone for, like... Uh, I don't know, a couple of months, not very long, but this was back in the days of long distance and he lived in Alaska. And they had like eight or $900, you know, phone bills wow. and stuff. She flies up in November of 94 to marry the guy, literally to walk off the plane and go marry him in this, in this church. And a month later, my brother and I are going up there to like live this brand new life with this guy we've never met. My Whoa. mom barely knows him. And uh, it's the shortest day of the year. It's the it's the solstice. Right. It's December twenty first, and we flew up there from San Antonio, like on a on a red eye. We landed in Anchorage at like two in the afternoon, and it was dark like an hour later. Yeah, and we were like, "What is that?" Would this be so place? strange coming from so strange because you moved there from San Antonio. Yeah, yeah. I mean, literally, you couldn't be. I mean, obviously, opposite. You could be on the <laughs> equator, but there's not much. It was yeah. just a huge culture shock. So yeah, the age. The just the daylight, the climate, the insular nature of the world we lived in, and then the family dynamic of yeah. like getting this new father figure. It's just weird. 
And so my brother and I, I was talking to my wife before I came here, like, he's just this, like, he's just this wild animal. Like, he's just, like, yeah. on his own. Like, he's just perfectly content. He doesn't, he's not married. He's never settled down. He doesn't need anybody. He's just, like, this hmm. very, he's like a fucking cowboy, kind of. He yeah. just is out there roaming around. Nomadic. And nobody, and- like, no strings on him. And I feel like, I was telling her, I was like, you know, I feel like if it weren't for you, I probably would have ended up the same way. I had kids really young and, you know, yeah. that gravitated toward this domestic environment. But I was telling her, I was like, wouldn't it be weird if I was living the same life as my brother and we're like these two estranged little satellites from this crazy, crazy world with no... <laughs> it's just... Was it... And it's weird. is he your only sibling? Yeah. Man. Yeah. But... And... Like, do you not talk to your mom anymore? No, she, we, she kinda, neither one of us have talked to her since 2004, whoa, 2005. It, our entire did she adult sort lives. of like, um, what's the word? Yeah, excommunicate. There, you? Yeah, there was, it's weird because there was no, I, not that I can remember, there was no real like catalyst, no like real like yeah, break like shift point or something, but it was very much like just years and years of disapproval and like. Mm. Uh, basically, sort of verbal, like ongoing verbal communication, but ex- essentially uh, excommunication. And he was just like, uh, "No, nah, done with it." And it took me a couple more years, and I was like, "All right, I guess I'm done with it too." Wow. And it was weird because nobody ever like said, "I'm not talking to you anymore." We just sort of didn't anymore. Just sort of faded away. Yeah. yeah. And we were her only kids. That's that's nuts. Like, yeah, that's she didn't nuts. have any more kids with the new husband. No. She was um, she was older by then, but were yeah. they like living in a Community was so in a, in a so my granddad was the was the scion of this well not scion he was the uh, like the uh, apprentice I guess if you will uh, the protege is what I'm trying to say of this guy in Pensacola Florida called Peter Ruckman and he was this uh, fundamentalist they call themselves independent Baptists but it's not really what you would think of as a Baptist it's like they believe this guy sort of originated this doctrine that the Bible was re-inspired in 1611 for English-speaking read white people. Whoa. It's very, very racist uh, ideology yeah. or uh, uh, ideology. And um, he was his like main disciple. So he moved here to San Antonio, started this church. He was the, the guy here. When we moved to Alaska, it was the same thing. It was like another offshoot of this guy, uh. but like m- we more insular. So like those, remember like a few years back when they raided like the... Uh, polygamous compounds out in West Texas or maybe in New Mexico. Uh, yeah, I and all the a women about that. The photos of like women come out in like pastel, like floor length weird, <laughs> with weird hair and weird yeah. homemade dresses. That's how everybody in this community oh, looked. Wow. They weren't polygamous, but that's what they look like. Uh, it was yeah. very much about women looking a certain way. Right. Oh, as plain as possible. Yeah, it was It's weird. so heartbreaking to me the way that like so many religions have... I don't know. They've just totally missed the point. I guess specifically with Christianity, I feel like no figure has been more misrepresented than Jesus, you know? And they've gotten, like, just with the whole fundamentalist legalism type, the way that it's... Legalism is the word for it. It's funny because, like... It gets so focused on the law, you know? And growing up, like, my granddad was the the pastor here and, like, you know, the, the, the head of the body here. And you... You, are, you kind of grow up behind the curtain a little bit, yeah. and so you hear all the like weird rationalizations of like discrepancies in the in the Bible and whatever. But I remember very early on having this sort of idea that 
he didn't really believe in himself. He was just sort of like, mm. like we were better, we were separate, we were like, we were in on it. And these all these people that would show up to church every day were like the people that he was sort of like, I don't know why why there I came up with that. Or something or? Yeah, he was just like they. It was for them to believe in, but he didn't need to. But I think that was me as a kid rationalizing wow. his own behavior because he's supposed to be this like perfect one guy. figure kind. Yeah, of. and he very much wasn't. You mm. know, so that's um, yeah, oh, weird. That's so. It crazy, was a weird man. way to grow up. That's yeah. What a. I mean, do you feel like you would use the word traumatic? Oh well, especially with my in, brother. Yeah, I mean, for both of us, but. It was yes. It was a, it was a series of massive traumas. Like yeah. you know, our our dad died when I was five, and my brother was seven, and he was like, when you're seven years old and you're like the oldest boy, your dad's like your best friend. Right. You know? and he was he like looked like him, and I looked more like my mom, and mm. like all of these things, and he was just sort of treated differently because he was, I think I was thought of as as like you know a tailor, and he was thought of as a Morris, but. Hmm. Yeah, it, it was very traumatic, and he, yeah. he, I think, has borne a lot more of that than I did, but yeah. Man. <laughs> There's some funny stuff, too, though. I don't, it's not all, it's not all, it's so right. like, you know, growing up like that in Alaska, he was, we were talking about it before we started recording, he was like a, he's, he is like an electronics whiz, and um, when we would, when we were like bad, as like basically teenagers at this point, we would still get spankings. <laughs> That's yeah. a giant dude that we barely knew. <laughs> And uh, he worked in Anchorage, and so my mom would call him when we had done something that was, you know, uh, whatever, geez. unbiblical. So you just have to wait for him to get home? Yeah, and it was brutal. So my brother, like, took an old telephone and an old, um, like, stereo, I think, speaker, and he rigged this, like, listening device because he had a phone jack in his room, but you couldn't put a phone in there because you could hear when somebody was listening in mm. on the landline. So he rigged up, he rigged up this like contraption and he hid it behind his desk and it was just this like spool of wires and a speaker <laughs> plugged in. And so that we could actually hear the things that she was saying about us on the phone and we would like oh, huddle, wow. huddle down and listen to it. Uh, just so we could like be prepared, yeah. be more prepared and like put on an extra <laughs> pair of pants under your, under oh your jeans goodness. or whatever. But we like music was like a thing that we like immediately gravitated toward. Yeah. It was this, uh, it was this source of freedom that you, it was very much verboten, you know, like we weren't allowed. We were talking, you, yeah, were you allowed, I mean, no. like, were you allowed to listen to even, no. like, so, Christian music? Or yeah, was so that like, considered it, probably? Essentially, it was hymns is what you were allowed to listen okay. to. But my stepdad had uh, these, like, gospel-ish quartets, very white, like, gospel music, but, like, yeah. sort of quartet music, which... When you don't have access to anything else, you sort of like, all right, I'll get into yeah. this. <laughs> but he also had, we were talking about the Get Back documentary. He also had this anthology, like compilation of like 40 tracks from this Missouri uh, uh, bluegrass band called the Dillards. Okay. And they're amazing, by the way. But it was the first time I'd ever heard of, of several Beatles songs because they were contemporaries oh, cool. and they covered a lot. Like uh, I've Just Seen a Face and Yesterday and, and different songs. But like uh, it was the only thing in the house that approximated like, you know, popular music. Something other than. Yeah. And it was awesome. Church really cool. hymns. But my brother would like, um, my brother got a car and so we would drive around and listen to the radio and that was like immense freedom. Oh man. And listen to like, you know, whatever was on modern rock radio, but he <laughs> had a cassette player in his car. And so he would buy these cassette tapes, you know, um, sound garden and like, you know, Oasis and whatever yeah. was popular at the time. And he had this in the back of his closet. He had like somebody who had worked on the house before had left like a little hole in the sheetrock and it was about the size of a cassette tape. 
and you can only fit like two cassette tapes back there, <laughs> but we would hide them in the wall. And when we'd go driving, we'd take them out or whatever, but you could only fit two of them. So every time we wanted to buy a new cassette tape, we had to like choose one to get rid of. Because <laughs> <laughs> like if they got found, you would just be in huge oh, trouble. Yeah, yeah. And one time, one time he left Vitalogy by Pearl Jam. <laughs> and there's like songs about like masturbation or something. I don't even right. know. Not a big Pearl Jam guy, but yeah, that was not fun. But. Oh, we man. would chuck him out the window driving down the highway. <laughs> he was really into Smashing Pumpkins, so we bought the uh, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness cassette, which was a double cassette. Yeah. So that was the only cassette we could have <laughs> at the time. I think he bought it like two or three times because he would throw it away <laughs> and go get something oh, else. Oh, my goodness. It was funny. We really grow up. That's so interesting, man, because yeah. I think, yeah, I don't know. It, it, you, do you feel like there's ways you can see how this upbringing has been redeemed in your life or oh, like yeah. things that it's taught you maybe or... Well, I, so I have cousins from my dad's side of the family who grew up all, you know, with money and in a, in a sort of very um, privileged upper middle class kind of lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot about, I mean, they were my cousins there. I would, I play with them when I was little. They're like my age. They are like golfers and shit like that. You yeah. know, like they have a very normal, you know, life. Um, right. And I have a domestic life. I have a wife and kids, but like I she and I and the people that I am friends with are all like most of my friends are artists or something, you know, yeah. or they do something artistic. A little more eccentric than just golfers. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. you know, I, I think about them, my cousins and like, you know, I'm sure they're perfectly happy with who they are and how they grew up. And right. I could have been exactly like that. And I probably would have been content as well. But, um, yeah, I'm whatever it was, whatever happened, um, it made me who Shaped I am. You, so yeah. yeah, you know, I'm, Pretty happy with it. Yes. So, how long were you in Alaska? Because uh, you from, said you went to Bible college at sixteen. Yeah. So twelve to sixteen, and then I went back one more summer after that. Okay. Yeah. And did it grow on you? Like, did you? So, was being in Alaska ever enjoyable, or was it kind of always this like tyrannical environment? When you're a kid, yeah. So you you definitely make things that are fun. There right. were definitely things that were fun about it, but in in you know in a deviation from whatever that midline was it's it's yeah. so there was a lot of snow on the ground and it was very dark and it was very cold it was prohibitive to kind of go outside and do stuff a lot of the time right. we'd play in the snow and whatever but what i did was re- i read a lot of books mm. i would go to the library we were sort of in this little town equidistant from two little town libraries <laughs> that were both pretty cool and um like i was really into fiction and i would just go like get a stack of books and you remember i don't know if you remember or if you're old enough to remember but um libraries used to they didn't have like the dust jacket on a novel they would have like this weird like sort of geometric geometric like but vinyl cover that they would put yeah. on it and they t- retype the so you had no idea what was in a novel like you had no idea what it was about um and i would pick these books and most of the time my mom like wouldn't bother with them and i would read like a like a lot of hemingway and and faulkner mm. and stuff like that but she um for some reason she the only two times I remember her taking books out of my stack and saying, you can't read these was go down Moses, uh, by Faulkner and Absalom, Absalom, which, wow. which I remember b- being like, those are just like biblical names. Like, what do you, yeah, what's wrong? You just, you only <laughs> picked out the ones with biblical names. So that's what I did. I just read a lot. Um, I, I don't think I did much else. We didn't, we didn't go to school, so we didn't really have friends, you know, like we had Man, yeah. a friend that lived down the street or whatever. Was your mom, your teacher? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sort of. Yeah. That's something I've realized too, as I've met more homeschool folks, 
some people that are homeschooled, like there's a lot they don't know. <laughs> you That's know, exactly that how I am. They're yeah. just not taught like yeah. the things that are almost expected to be oh yeah common knowledge. You yeah. know, and I feel so like fortunate that my mom was actually like smart yeah. and loving. You know, to where I actually learned you know substantial things, and then I started. I went to Christian school from like fifth to eighth grade and then went to public school for high school. Oh, wow, yeah. And so it was kind of fun to have all these different... You got bailed out. Yeah, all these different kind of... Uh, I wanted to go to high school so bad. And it's like I, I've lived uh, so vicariously through my own kids going to high school. Like, yeah, oh, wow. you're not going to prom? Yes, you are going to prom. <laughs> you yeah. Because I didn't get to go to prom. I know prom's lame, but uh, you... But if you did... But as a kid too, I mean, like I loved high school, yeah. you know? And if I... It's so interesting. You just had a miss it. Well, think about all the people that you met there, whether or not you're still friends with them, like, you know. And just those those years are so, like, it's so yeah. fun, yeah. you know, because you're, like, it's really kind of that transitional period of, yeah. okay, I'm not going to be a kid forever. Yeah. You know, like, it is, but then I, I'm still a kid right now, and this is a blast. Right. Like, I had such a good time in high school, but. Yeah, my mom wasn't, so early on, she was, like, I'm going to buy all the teaching aids and I'm going to buy all the books and we're going to sit down and have class every day. And that lasted probably, so that was fourth grade, probably maybe to sixth grade. Okay. But then after that, it was like, here's a stack of books. And I would read the literature and like the history books and I would fuck off on the mat, <laughs> yeah. you know? So, <laughs> Oh man, it just, <laughs> that's so funny. I mean, it's not, it's just like crazy to think about because yeah, yeah, gosh. And then, was Bible college something you chose to do or were kind of forced into? Yeah, my brother was going and um, it was very much, he was older, so it was very much his way out. Gotcha. And, and so I, you kind of were right I was that. like, I got to get out of here. Like, mm. I can't be here by myself. You know, like, uh, he's going, so let me go. So I just took my GED and my SAT and went. Nice. Yeah. And how was that transition? Like, uh, did you it enjoy was, that? So. Yeah, it was... Just to be around other people, at least? Well, it was just a huge amount of freedom compared mm. to what we had. You know, you had... This is a notoriously fundamentalist, unaccredited, terrible oh. Bible college wow. in Pensacola, Florida. And, you know, like, they... You know, the, the, the boy-girl dynamic is very weirded out. Oh, yeah. You, you know, you, I had to wear... A, lots of rules. And lots of rules. And, you know, you had to wear, like, a... I forget what it was. You had to wear, like, a collared shirt all the time. But you had to wear like a tie to breakfast and you could take the tie off. And then at dinner, you had to put the tie back on and put a sport coat on, which I don't care. I mean, that's not oppressive or anything, but it's, right, but it's just weird. Yeah. There were lots of weird, the, the ideology was weird. It was unaccredited because the dean, I remember the science, of course, was bogus, but the, <laughs> the dean of history had a bachelor's degree, the dean of this entire school, you know, and I'm not trying to be, you know, weird. I don't have a degree, but like it's weird when the dean of a certain, department as a bachelor's Just, degree. Yeah. And uh, he, I remember I was sitting in a history lecture and he was talking about how like uh, communism and socialism and Nazism were essentially the same thing, drawing on this idea that national so socialism, which if you know about that, of course, they sort of grew out of workers' movements, but it had absolutely nothing to do with true democratic socialism or right. communism or whatever. And he was just talking about how they were exactly the same thing. And I was just like, I'm like 16 years old being like, what? Like, this doesn't seem right. Yeah. So it was, it was, but it was cool. It was like you had this little card and you could swipe your card out and, you know, I didn't have a car or anything, but you could walk down to, you know, the mall or the Walmart or whatever. 
you looked very conspicuous because of the way they made you dress. Right. But, um, yeah, it was a massive amount of freedom. It was Man. cool. Gosh, that's so wild, dude. Yeah. And good for you for making it out, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. It's a near thing. It yeah. was a near thing. So I like to talk to people about like what they believe in their worldviews and stuff. And so it's interesting to hear this kind of upbringing that you had that was rooted really heavily in fundamental yeah. religion, you know? Yeah. And how has that shaped your view of, you know, the divine or well, this I think, idea of God? Like, what is that like to you now? Yeah, I think, I think it, it poisoned it. It just mm. absolutely poisoned it because I don't have any issue with um, personal spirituality or even, you know, um, I don't know if it's fair for me to say I don't have an issue with somebody being personally religious, ju- not because it's a personal issue to me, but just because I don't quite get it or understand it. But right. it is just a very reactionary thing. You have to be, I think if you're going to break away from this, and I, I seldom meet, my brother and I, every once in a while we'll meet people who had the same kind of upbringing. It's mm. sort of weird and rare. Um, but But everybody talks about, everybody that got out talks about you have to sever completely. Everyone's excommunicated. Everyone's mm-hmm. estranged from their family because you, it's, it's an ideology based around the idea that it's it's exclusivity. It's yeah. I'm a Christian, but all the other Christians who think they're Christians, they actually are going to hell. Isn't that so sad? Yeah, Gosh. yeah. And I I have this secret, but like, it's weird and it's it's a very hateful, like angry thing. And so, I feel like I questioned it early, and I remember having the thought at like eight or nine years old, like, you know, if I was born in Saudi Arabia or whatever, if I knew what that was, um, I would be a Muslim and I would think exactly the same thing and I'd have my prophet and I'd have my book and I'd have all these other things and I'd be convinced that this was, that I had it right, you know? Yeah. And not being able to reconcile that, um, that's, you know, questioning organized religion. But then I think being behind the curtain, like I said earlier, sort of, poisoned us to the whole idea that mm. it could be real to anybody because nobody yeah. that I was around it was just all the front yeah. kind of and I don't think they would have ever acknowledged that or even thought that but it was so clear yeah it was a coping mechanism it was like this way to feel better than people and um so anyway you know my worldview now is um very much uh agnostic at best certainly I want to mm-hmm. say atheist but I, I you know I don't I don't care about it. It's not interesting to me. Um, sorry. Don't Iowa. be sorry. No, it's good, man. <laughs> but, you know, especially, I just think it's, we talked about this, I don't know if we were on the mic or not, but organized Christianity has done so much harm and just in personal lives, you know, aside mm. from like giant wars and crap or whatever, but yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and it's it's really sad to me the way that so many people have attached this idea of, the Christian faith specifically, because that's what I was brought up in. But I've like, I feel so fortunate that it wasn't this like fundamental oppressive upbringing, you know. Yeah. But a ve- like completely rooted in love. Sure. And like listening. Yeah. You know, because that seemed as I've because I it drew me in, you know, and made me like I was like, wow, this is true to me based on what I've experienced in yeah. my own life, and then. It's just, it's so sad how much it creates this hoity-toity or like better than idea yeah. in people's minds where they're like, oh, I'm saved now. And so yeah, it's well, my job people, to judge everyone that's not. Yeah. And it's like... 
all the people that I grew up with were ascetics as well. They were like, they were, they were absolutely separated from society. Mm. <clears throat> they were, they were not, I mean, they had jobs or whatever, but the women, you know, didn't work and dressed a certain way. They, they were conspicuously separate from society. Right. And so now what that's poisoned in me is people that are genuinely happy in their Christianity or their belief in God or whatever, genuinely pure. And it's a, it's a source of love for them. I have this like innate disdain for it because mm. I say, well, how can you be this, it's this thing since I was five years old, how, how can you be a Christian? You've got tattoos. How can you be a Christian when you're not giving things up and suffering to be a Christian, which is so backward. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's yeah, what we were they surrounded may, by. There's so many, <clears throat> there's just been such a huge missing of the point. I feel you know, right. like when you look yeah. at like the the life of Christ and the way that he lived and like the people that he, yeah. the things that he said, even like I came for the sick, yeah. you know, and it's like they named it wrong. It's like the, the worst name for anything ever is Christianity. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, they ought to, I don't know why they're not like Talmud scholars or whatever, because yeah. honestly, a lot of what we, a lot of what we talked about was similar to Orthodox Judaism than it was actual, right. any kind of, it, they certainly taught Jesus in the New, New Testament, but. Yeah, but none of it is like centered around this idea of love and inclusivity, right. you know. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's been such a like even just the idea of heaven and hell has harmed Christianity so much. I feel because it's made people yeah. convinced like, okay, this is what matters. Right. I just have to do all the right things. I have to say the spell so I don't go yeah. to hell. I have to know? say the spell and then I'm good. Yeah, you know? yeah. And um, once when I was ten years old, I. I don't know how it got in my mind. I was visiting my other grandparents in Florida and I, I, I'm like a maximalist at heart or something. I have this weird, like I'll, I'll fixate on things. And like, I had this idea that I was going to like be saved and then like just be perfect. And I wasn't going to mess anything <laughs> up or sin or do anything. And it's, you know, this weird mind games that I've had, this like weird brainwashing that I've had since I was a little kid. Yeah. And so I went down there to visit them. And I remember spending this whole month down there constantly re-getting saved, which to my mind was like saying this spell at this mm-hmm. like specific spell that I would say. And then I would baptize myself in the bathtub because oh. it was the two things I had to do. That's wow. the way we were taught. You had to like say the spell and then you had to be baptized. And so every time I would do something like get mad at my brother or whatever, or like watch something inappropriate on TV, I don't even know what I was doing when I was 10, but I was like, like when you felt the it. guilt. Yeah. And then I would go say the spell again and go get in the bath and baptize myself. Oh my goodness. That's so <laughs> it's such a fucked so up wild. thing. It's such a, like, and I, I, when I had kids, I had kids very young and uh, I remember being like, I can't imagine doing that to them. Waking up in a right. cold sweat, like afraid that they, like, you know, a kid, you don't know that you're going to probably live to be 80. And like thinking that I worried that I would die and like, wake up in some like like the way that they would describe hell is this just it, it you mm. can't die but you're constantly tormented yeah just oh my endless God. pain i never wanted <laughs> i don't know why they wanted that for us because i never wanted that for they just they weren't thinking about what they were doing to us yeah you know? yeah man it's so crazy how distorted yeah religion gets oh, just yeah. like so quickly you yeah. know because it's that's the most powerful thing though is when you think you've got a secret that nobody else has it's all ego yeah, and that's that's what they were running with. They they never stopped to even really think about mm. it. My grandmother was like the wife of the pastor, and she was this very sweet person. She was the, this source of affection, like blind affection for us our whole lives. 
And when I was probably 15, she was much more than my grandfather, the person I could point to in my world that I thought was this actual picture of Christianity. Mm. And I'm 15 years old or so, and we're in church. And she goes down to the front at the end of the sermon and like gets saved. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, what? <laughs> like, and it was, and what she said, what she said was she, she realized she thought she'd gotten saved when she was like 10 years old at some like Bible meeting in the panhandle in like 1942 or whatever. Right. And she'd never actually said the spell right. You know, she obviously don't call it a spell. I'm being, you right. know, I'm being dismissed. Sinner's prayer. But, yeah, there, there was these things you had to say and this this thing you had to offer and whatever. Mm. I, I don't even remember, but they had all these things that if you didn't do it, it wasn't right. Uh, that fucked me up like yeah, completely. No like, doubt. I'm like, what am I supposed to it's, do? Like it's like matriarchal figure. That's did I say it right? Like did I yeah, do it just, right? Like it's uh, immediate doubt. <laughs> yeah. Oh right. man, we don't have well, to go. We don't have to dwell on. No, that. that's <laughs> okay. I'm sorry that happened, man. Because I, I yeah, it just breaks my heart that. This this faith that I was raised with that it be, has become so like real and dear to me through personal experiences, sure. it just breaks my heart when I like hear a story like this that's such a just a blatant yeah. misrepresentation of a loving creator. Now you know you how know? Muslims feel too, because right. people in our world make every oh, Muslim man. out to be you know exactly what I was. In the Christian uh, equivalent, right, um, a fundamentalist, just you know, jihadist uh, or something, right? Basically yeah. a jihad. <laughs> yeah, no, it's yeah. it's so it's really really sad the way that people will attach their religion or other people's religion and let that just kind of designate every thought that they have about it, you yeah. know, or yeah. and they just don't leave any room for nuance or like learning or listening to kind of yeah. get a better understanding of it, and yeah. that just. It's we so escaped sad, though, man. you know, it's like, I, I was yeah. telling my wife the other day, like my brother, like he's very much affected by, by this, but he's, he's like just living the life of a cowboy out there doing whatever. Yeah. Um, I had kids when I was like 19 years old mm. and, uh, just demographically was not supposed to be as quote unquote successful as I am. Um, mm. you know, I got two kids in college and, uh, I'm from a family of hillbillies. Nobody went to college. <laughs> um, Yeah. It worked out. Is I that mean, just how many kids do you have total? I have two and then one stepdaughter. Oh, cool. Yeah. We have three three together, pretty much cool. style. Nice. Man. And how old's the youngest? Twelve. Almost thirteen. Wow. Yeah. And what have you learned from being a dad? Oh boy. Um it is it's the most wonderful thing about it is identifying with them. Um hmm. seeing in a sort of not egotistical way, but in a, in a self-indulgent kind of way, seeing yourself in them in, in fun ways. You, you yeah. see parts of you in them, and, and really, from my experience, mostly the good parts. Um, and I, I think for me, unfortunately, a lot of it is guilt as well, <laughs> just because it's almost like I second... It, being a dad to me was sort of like having being constantly confronted with a fork in the road and having absolutely no idea which way to go, mm. especially because I was a kid. And right. so you just pick one and go with it and try your best to be you know consistent and, and do the right thing. But they turn out really, really well. And the thing now is, as tough as that was, um, I'm 40 in April, and oh, right my on. son will be in you know off to college, and 
in August, the following August. So I'll be 40 years old and basically have two grown kids and yeah. 45 when the youngest is done. So uh, it wasn't the right way to do it. and <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it, but <laughs> it's nice now. You know, it worked yeah. out pretty well. And I, I mean, I came from a fairly big family. I have three older sisters and they are professional baby makers. Wow. And so like there's just tons of kids at my family gatherings That's now. Awesome. And I love it. That's what I'm working on. So like, you know, being estranged from my family, I'm working on like building one up on my own. Yeah. And staying (laughs) connected because you would never excommunicate your kids. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So it's, I mean, God, it's been great. I remember one of the very first emotions I remember feeling as a father was like over, sort of a, sort of a over and over again, repetitive emotion was, um, when my daughter was really little, I would shower with her. Like we'd go in that she was a little baby. Uh-huh. I'd go in the shower and I'd turn the shower on and we, you know, she would, I'd lay her down on the, on the, on the floor, like between my legs and I'd lay there with her and the water would hit us. And it was super pleasant. And I remember just having this thought, like, you know, I'd never want, I never want anybody to make her feel bad about anything or, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, for her to feel less than whole about herself or whatever. And of course those things happen. It's part of growing up, but this very protective, you feel love immediately and you feel sort of wonder, especially when you're my age, right. but then you start to feel this very protective, um, instinct and that that's stayed with me even now. Um, obviously, but yeah, it's, uh, it's cool. It's a good thing. It's so cool. I, I feel really fortunate cause I am close with both my parents yeah. and like, they've just, I feel that they've done such a good job of if nothing, if I'm unsure of anything or everything else, I know forever that I'm loved by my parents. God, that's you know? great. Yeah. And like that that's alone <laughs> has offered, it's just given me like such a security oh, yeah. in life, you know? It gives you a base and for everything. Yeah. yeah. Where it's like, even though I've made the worst, just terrible decisions or mistakes, like they're always so forgiving and understanding. Yeah. And like, that's, it's that protective instinct that they have, you know, where it's like, what I'm, a the, legacy I'm their too. boy, you yeah. know? Like, I mean, I think about all the things that I want to do personally with my life or all the things that I've tried to do. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Like, that's the one you want more than anything is right. that, you know, the people that you made to feel like you genuinely cared about them and that yeah. perpetuates in their life. You know? Yeah. And that's such a beautiful thing because it just naturally carries on, you yeah. know, like I think it's so much easier to love others and strangers when you've experienced that's exactly pure right. love for yourself, you know? And so like, hallelujah that you aren't <laughs> hateful, dude, oh or like God, some, you well, know, there were those racist times too. Fund- fundamentalist brick <laughs> there, or there something. Were, there were times, so, so being emotionally stunted, my brother and I both went through this. We very, like it was all reactionary. So by the time I was 21, I was, I would like hard drinking, like trying to be in for bands, sure. like going on tour, like really, I had little kids, but I had like, you know, uh, by the time their mom and I were divorced, I would have these times where I could go out and do my thing and go mm-hmm. on tour. But um, having no social skills, like none. And, wow. you know, not really understanding that, you know, sort of the way we were shown and the, and the way these people, the vitriol that these people had about the world in general mm-hmm. sort of like comes out without you really knowing it. You don't yeah. really understand that people don't accept this as a normal thing. That was a hard thing to overcome. Oh, I bet. So getting back to center was like probably most of my 20s, I feel like, because mm. you just... You're just learning for the yeah. first time, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I have some friends that are that were like former Amish. Oh, wow. Like they were yeah. excommunicated from... The Rumspring Amish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting to talk to them and kind of hear... Oh, yeah. Just to, it's sort of similar. Um, it doesn't seem as like... 
and I don't know if you said you wouldn't necessarily call it oppressive what you went through, but it's like just these this uh, these ideologies that make people. Well, that was what was poisonous about it more than anything. More than yeah. like taking taking out and being separate like the Amish do. There's ways that lots of communities do that and and seem to have somewhat healthy dynamics. Yeah, and there can be a value to that. Yeah. I think yeah. you know. But Families, it's you know, so that live in easily right. distorted. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with living in a rural area, for example, and raising right. the kids there where they don't have massive access to other kids their age. There's nothing wrong with that. It's it's the dynamic that was there that was oppressive for yeah. sure. I remember just growing up in the small town that I grew up in, there was like no black people. Yeah. Like the first black people I ever saw were in movies. Yeah. You know? And it made me kind of idolize him in this <laughs> strange way as a little like white cowboy kid yeah, yeah, in this yeah. ranch town. Yeah. It made well, they're, like they're, the... You know, the, the, that that culture is something that our culture has always sort of siphoned off of. So yeah. you know, it's, it's easy to want to... Uh, and they just like, it just seems so cool to me yeah. being in this town of like just such... It was very, very wilderness ranch yeah. type yeah. town. And I would go visit my, my cousins out in a place called Bront, Texas. Mm. And uh, my mother in San Antonio wouldn't really let us go beyond, you know, the corner or the end of the street. Um, but they had the run of this town. Like they would go, it was like a thousand people. Yeah. And they would go everywhere on their bikes. And I definitely, there was a four to five year period in my young young childhood where I wanted that so bad. Yeah. live in a small town. Man. Yeah, that would be interesting too. Just, I just can't imagine going from a city like San Antonio and then up to Alaska and... Yeah. All while being, I guess I got my weird, wish in a weird way. Yeah, yeah, just, <laughs> yeah. Gosh, well, awesome, dude. We've been talking for about forty minutes. I usually do two segments. I don't know how much time you have. I'm, I'm free. Cool. So let's take a break, and then we'll come back and Sweet. talk some more. Welcome back, friends. Here we are once more. It's the second hour now, and what a pleasure to be here. It's not just me. Still got Jared Morris, and what a treat. Jared, you are a professional musician. Yes, uh, in the sense that I've never made any money on it. <laughs> right. It's funny, though. Be, the cover band now, that right. makes money. Yeah. The Texases. But the, the other stuff was either net loss yeah. <laughs> or breaking even. <laughs> But worth and, it. And I love the Texases. I've yeah, had so man. much fun at the Texas shows. It's so much fun. Did you grow up with that kind of music? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because it was, uh, that was like what was listened to in yeah, the yeah. tiny town I lived in. That's how it was. So when my mother basically backslid for a while, I was able, <laughs> before we moved to Alaska, yeah. I was able to listen to secular music for like probably a year and a half, maybe two years. And that was... I want to say like 92 and 93. It was okay. definitely 92 and 93. And man, I chose country music. And it was just It was great in the so 90s. Great. Yeah. yeah. It's funny because country music has these very distinct periods. You have like the, you know, the Hank Williams early stuff. You have the country polit and stuff from the 60s, yeah. the outlaw and the weird like twinkly electric piano Kenny Rogers stuff from uh -huh. the 80s. And then like the late, well, I guess probably the mid 80s to the mid 90s was like soft rock country. Yeah. Where they just started having like electric guitar solos and stuff. Man, that stuff was so good. Garth Brooks. Oh, man. Garth, Alan, George. Yeah. You talk like, to the old guys, they hate it. Which they, is so they funny. Because they like the outlaw stuff. Because right? I feel like everybody that likes that stuff 
hates the modern day stuff. Oh yeah. You know, because when I hear the modern day stuff, I'm just like, what is this garbage? That's, isn't that funny (laughs) though? Because it's almost like, like when I'll hear something from like country from the last like 15 years, like 2005 on, it sounds like angels and airwaves. (laughs) It does. It sounds like, like echoey, like, (laughs) that's really funny. You know, like, well, now some of them are like, it's like they're trying to bring rap into uh, some of these country uh, songs, and I'm like, "Which is what are okay, you doing?" Okay, that's cool, but like <laughs> they do it so poorly. Yeah, it's, yeah, it seems so. Somebody did a video on on uh, YouTube about like, and I have no no context because I don't listen to to the new country, but they they were like, uh, I forget what you call it, like a snap beat where they do like that, you know, like. Mm. Oh yeah, it's just like it a was slow like all of these different country songs did the same thing, uh, like yeah. almost like a slow jam. Yeah, and but then, that's what country is. Is like it's. It's a, it's an, it's, it's a kind of recreating. It's absorbing stuff. It's like an amoeba, but it's yeah. interesting because it's like all of all of Amer- American music obviously is mostly derivative of black music coming from right. African music, but like there's these distinct lines into country from, you know, Ireland to like the Scotch Irish and Appalachia mm. to like you know weird bluegrass stuff, and obviously. Much of it is is the same, but there's there's a very there's a very distinct white line down it. But then it's almost like it wasn't good enough, so it always had to absorb other <laughs> all these other, other music. Things, yeah. <laughs> but I love it, man. I, you know the the thing about being being the songwriter and being in those bands is like you know you play, you you know this, but you play like four shows and one of them's awesome, and three of them are kind of like mm. either just okay or they you know it sucked, nobody yeah. showed up. And as the songwriter, you kind of that like was an emotional thing for me. Not not mm. that people weren't there or whatever, but just that the toll of like trying to write a song that you think people are every time you finish a song, you're like, people are gonna love this one. This yeah. one's great. And then that not always coming true, of course. Right. Um, the emotional like sort of experience of that wore on me a little bit. Mm. And then when we started doing the Texases, it was so funny because it was like every show was a big deal, every show was packed. Every show was people singing the songs, singing yeah. the songs because they grew up with them as well, which is a whole different thing. But God, it was just pure joy. It's so it fun, was just man. Pure joy. And there's such a yeah. It's, I think cover bands get a lot of flack sometimes, but yeah. like, I feel of all the cover bands, like a country cover band that's doing that, yeah. those sort of specific, yeah. loved like beloved country songs of that era, and. It's, I mean, it's just so fun. Tip of the hat to know? Travis because he had the idea and was like, you know, yeah. a, lot of, a lot of the country bands would just do outlaw stuff. And we don't do a lot of that because right. of that because it's, it's, it's already done. pretty saturated. You, know, you yeah. can't play Johnny Cash again. But uh, yeah, we started doing like 80s and 90s stuff and people our age were right. quite ready for it, you know. I fell out of my chair at the last Texas That's show. That's right. I forgot. <laughs> That's right. I was bucking during yeah. Should Have Been a Cowboy. That's right. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So you have. How many bands have you been in is, that were like original music? Your because you were you're the front man of El Campo or the primary songwriter, yeah. right? And how many other bands? So what, my first band was called Muldoon. That was um, when I was real young, nineteen or twenty or probably twenty. Um, it lasted until two thousand six. Hmm. Um, that was you know the first touring like really discovery of what it could be not just from like writing songs learning how to do that but touring um you know playing for for crowds that sort of um 
appreciated it for the first time. Yeah. Uh, we used to go down to Corpus and play these giant enormous shows. And I don't know why it was a thing that just happened in Corpus at the time. That's funny. Uh, like I told you before we were recording like Odessa, like there was just, it was just super fun, but it also introduced me to this community of musicians and artists in San Antonio mm. and eventually Austin that, that have now become sort of like my family, but mostly you know, yeah. friends group. And then after that, it was Great Northern Guns, which was a band in Austin, the one I lived in Austin with my brother and uh, a couple other people. Um, and then I, I think, I don't remember, there was, uh, I think right around then was also Stegosaur, which is still kind of going with one of my oldest friends, one of my best friends, oh, JC cool. Rodriguez. Um, we just sort of do it when we feel like it. It's more like heavy pop emo type stuff. Nice. And then, uh, and then El Campo came along and that was like sort of the final expression I guess of like what I wanted to do as a songwriter because I could Mm. write like what I felt were like kind of folkish songs and communicate through lyrics which is the most important thing to me but had this cast of musicians in that band that were super supportive of that and really much better musicians than me Um, so that was and is still just a really cool experience because they just there's good dudes to be in a band with man and Charlie's in the Texas is too, so I get to be in, be in oh, a band with him too. Heck yeah, that's cool. Um, and you toured quite a bit. When did you do like the bulk of your touring? Um, like in your 20s? 2000, yeah, 2001 maybe, 2002 through, uh, I think the last tour I went on was 2013 or 24. No, it was actually probably later than that. But 15 years-ish, Wow. Um, we... You know, in El Campo, we played CMJ in New York. Uh, we played South by, and we would do like tours around those things. Mm-hmm. The we put out a record. Um, oh man, I don't even remember when. Probably 2013 or something like that. And then we toured behind that. We had like PR kind of for the first time, and yeah. we're uh, our PR uh, girl was in Nashville, and so and and the PR company was in New York. So we would we built a tour around that. Um, and that was it was super fun too. I think that was the maybe the last time we went on tour. Okay. Um, yeah. Is there a, is there a show that that you remember sticking out to you as like the best one or um, that might be too hard to choose, but are, yeah. are there just any like shows that are kind of just hyper memorable? Man, I don't think so. I think the, <laughs> what I want to say is they were all not all. They, there was they were very similar shows, yeah. you know, because when you're touring as an unknown band, especially really, I mean, MySpace was kind of the thing, you know, mm-hmm. at, at the bulk of this, that there was not a huge apparatus for like getting your name out there unless you were signed. Gotcha. People in the mid 2000s would follow a label, you know, they would, right. whatever the label put out or whatever. Um, so, you know, there were, there were funny shows, good shows. We, I think the first tour we were on, we, we were playing, we were coming back and we had a show in Arlington. And I told you before that I booked that show myself. I mean, I booked that tour myself and I had no idea what I was doing. I literally mailed like CDs and press kits to all of these venues across the country oh, and then cool. like tried to follow up and see via email and see if we could, you know, play a show there. So sight unseen, we show up in Arlington. It was the last or second to last stop on the tour. And it was this enormous place. It was just <laughs> enormous. It had to be like a 3,000 capacity venue. Oh, wow. And it must have been like a Monday or Tuesday or something. It was complete, <laughs> completely empty except for two kids who had come to see us. I don't know how they'd heard of us. 
but they came to see us like, and they were sitting on this bench on like one side and I'm on the stage and the stage is like 10 feet off the <laughs> ground and we're looking out at this completely empty thing and the guy comes out and it's just like, it must've been the last day of tour because he was like, you know what? You don't really need to play if you don't want to. And I'm like, <laughs> are we getting paid? And he was like, well, I mean, look around, I'm not paying you. So he gave us uh, a 20 ounce Coke each and then we just went home. <laughs> We're like, oh, let's just go. Home. Oh my goodness! <laughs> so those those stand out as like funny, but we had yeah. some really good shows too. Like we, a lot of touring is, uh, just joking around with each other and and right, you know, getting in fights with each other and not, you know, you know, arguing with each yeah. other and getting annoyed with people and sharing um, these sort of common experiences that, not to be too, you know, lit, you know, lyrical or 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 literate or whatever, but, you know, when cowboys would go out and like drive cattle, you know, they would be gone for weeks and months and it was just them, you know, mm-hmm. and they were doing a job and that's very much how we felt. We were out there doing a job and we had to show up on time and we had to try to do good at it and yeah. we had to, and sometimes people were into it and sometimes nobody was there, but, um, it was almost invariably great experiences, whether they were good shows or bad. Right. Yeah. And I, th- I feel like just the, the act of like being on the road or just moving as a group even, there's just something really, travel has always been just like a huge passion of mine. And I feel like it's, it's really special to do a trip with others. Especially that way, you know, you're waking up in a different town every day. To do it for like based on music. Because you kind of have a reason to be doing it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just kind of aimless or not just like vacation, you know, but. Yeah. The funniest parts though, I mean, the things that we talk about really aren't the shows as much as you know, the drummer getting lost in New York. And, yeah. you know, we were like heartbeat away from, as a matter of fact, I think we called his girlfriend. And we're like, we lost him. We don't know where he is. <laughs> you know, it's just stuff like that. Like yeah. just weird experiences that we had. Cause you would crash at somebody's house most of the time, somebody that was at the show or somebody that you knew. Right. And there was a lot of drinking and a lot of just, you know, it was a good time, but you're right. I mean, not to always bring it back to the get back documentary, but <laughs> the thing that is so magical about this, that, I was telling you before is that like they're, they're super wealthy. They're super established. They're the Beatles. It's 1969. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows who they are. They knew who they are. They're 26, 27 years old, but they show up, they go, they show up at this studio in the morning and they have their toast and their coffee or tea or whatever. And then they sit down and they do their job and it's like six o'clock and they, and they clock yeah. out. That is such a magical thing from somebody being in a band. You know, if you've been a, a musician in a yeah. band, treating it like a job because you really want it to be your job. And for so few people, it actually is. Yeah. Um, when we were on tour, we treated it like a job, but it was like not in any way, it was always fun. You know, yeah. it was never a that's chore. A, I think that's something too, just that's interesting about the idea of work, you know, and oh, how yeah. like work can be such a fulfilling, that's right. Enjoyable experience, you know, where it's, like what's that old, isn't there that old saying or something like the best kind of job is one that doesn't feel like a job or something yeah. or. Cause I would, I, there's no part of me that doesn't want to work. I mean. Right. Cause I just, I would want to do something that ideally I, I care about, you know? Yeah. That's a lot of people thought that I just was living on disability after I got paralyzed, but I, di- I don't get disability. I get a uh, Medicare and Medicaid, but I don't get any like extra social security because I don't like. I really like to actually yeah. work yeah. for my living, you know, yeah. like I, and it's such a, it's, I mean, it's empowering. I feel to be able to do something and take care of yourself. I was just know? telling my daughter that the other day I was like, you know, it's actually today. 
I said, you know, it's you start to you start to grow up and you start to realize that like things that you just used to think were drudgeries and pointless, like getting up at a reasonable hour and like making your bed. These things like they're part of like making you feel like you're, uh, you know, an animal that's taking care of itself. Yeah. You know, like you there's, know, there's a some order to your exactly. Life. Yeah. I get up and I make my bed and it doesn't matter to anybody, but it makes me feel like I accomplished something and then I go <laughs> right. on from my day. But, you know, also like. Uh, I couldn't sleep till noon like she does, but yeah. I'm not 20 years old either. So, but yeah, I mean, there's being on tour. It was just, um, just so much fun. And really we all, I think all of the bands, uh, I really only toured with Stegosaur, Muldoon and, and El Campo, but everybody got along, you know, mm. um, there was a big fight in Stegosaur. Actually, there was a big fight in Toledo, Ohio. I forgot about that. It's because you guys were playing emo, bro. It's because yeah. me and JC like <laughs> loved each other so much. Yeah. We were just like, it, we, it was, we were young, but like really good friends and really, you know how that can be when yeah. you don't know yourself very well, but you care about this person. Um, yeah, there was, there was a knockdown drag <laughs> Toledo, Ohio, and then a straight drive home, which was not fun. Oh in the yeah. Van. But otherwise, you know, most of those times were just getting along and, mm-hmm. You're all kind of unwashed and, you know, waking up in the van and, you know. I love it, man. That's great. something about, I just love life on the road too. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. it's such a, it's so fun to me to wake up in a different place every oh, day. Yeah. You yeah. know, that was the greatest and the kind of not knowing where you were. And yeah. Wandering around that, you know, there was a lot of times, especially on the East coast, cause the towns are close, cities are closer together. Right. Uh, a lot of downtime. So, you know, just wandering around looking at Hanging record out. stores and yeah, yeah. it was cool. That's so fun. Have you, uh, did you ever tour outside of the States? No. No. No, I'd like to. And I think maybe the Texases should do it. <laughs> Dude, you guys could. I hear that, like, yeah, it's kind of a big thing. And I know Garrett, Garrett Capps played a show in the Netherlands recently. He's big over there. And the thing is that, like, <laughs> yeah. they have European, so like, Americana funny. charts, like, because it's such wow. a big deal over there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Texas is good, definitely. Oh, could. Play. I mean, that's the dream. I do think that music, like, that I and I'm just partial to it too because that's like the country I grew up on, you know. Right, right. And so, you know, my son though, my son is 17, mm-hmm. and he just got his first car, um, and he doesn't bother with like the dongle or whatever. He doesn't play Spotify. He listens to KKYX. Oh, cool. And like he's always grown up with it, but like yeah. he genuinely like enjoys that kind of music, which yeah. is obviously fulfilling to me as his father. But yeah. he'll come in the house from from school or work or something and be like singing like you know John Michael Montgomery or something. <laughs> It's really oh, cool. Oh man, that's fun. Do your kids play music? Uh, no, my son taught himself to play piano by ear, but mm-hmm. um, they're not really into. They're both. Uh, they both did like studio art uh, at Blue Star when they were oh, cool. uh, in middle school and high school, and so they're both tremendously talented. But my daughter is actually working on her portfolio now. I think she's probably going to be the one who actually does that, maybe as a living, oh, which would cool. be cool. Um, my son wants to be an engineer, so nice. Yeah. He's much more about. My dad was an engineer for a while. Stacy's an engineer. My wife's an engineer. Oh, cool! But she, she, he wants to be a mechanical engineer, so he's hmm. yeah. Yeah, he's got that mechanical mind. He likes. He says he likes solving problems. So yeah, cool. Yeah, man, cool field to be in. Yeah, for solving problems. Definitely. <laughs> I always the paper rolls and whatnot. Uh, th- <laughs> right. I think I would have. I don't know. I always wished I was a little more inclined to like math and science and stuff. Yeah. But I got way more into words and that's how art and yeah. kind of like the abstract ideas yeah. and stuff because my brother is it that's funny because we're the binary there because he's very mm. much like he like 
he builds his own circuit boards. Like right. it's something that I just sound, it's like magic to me. Yeah. And I'm much more about like words and stuff like that. Yeah. 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 Not so much a math guy. I, I'm thankful that I'm not, you yeah. know, in the long run. Cause I, I mean, I think we're all meant, it's we all like kind of become what we're supposed to be, yeah. you know, but it's better like this. Yeah. yeah. Cause, <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. But sometimes I'm just like, gosh, my life would probably be easier if I knew how to, or if I would just like, research a little more if i understood how the things around me work yeah yeah, yeah that's i'm just, and my dad always blows my mind with just how much like random knowledge he has about like every topic it feels yeah. like you know and i'm thinking and how he can like fix anything like he's the most yeah. handyman i know that's how my son and my brother are both yeah. of them fix anything and i want to be that way they're just curious but, it's a it's a different kind of curiosity i feel like our mm, yeah. my curiosity and our curiosity yeah was much more about what what the culture was hiding or, or what, what was inside of books and that kind of thing. Yeah. Music too. It's like a more romantic yeah. kind of idea rather than like, I feel like the alternate, the alternative, like your son and brother is more yeah. of like practical. Kind They're of, very practical like, problem solving. And then you out. get into like, and Stacy's very much into this. Uh, I don't understand it, but though I think it's super fun. They're like astrology thing where they like start talking about like where how what your sign, your sign what is. sign you were born under or whatever. Yeah. She's done my chart several times and it's like I can like feel myself being like, Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Cause it's kind of things that you want to think about yourself. Right. But then it's also like uh you can like I'll catch myself being like, you know, this could sort of apply to anybody. Yeah. <laughs> I know. That's a lot of the like personality things too. And yeah. Just different. Oh yeah. It's like, are you just telling me? Yeah. What everybody would hear. That's right. I hear it. And it's funny too when somebody like people that are really into astrology and know all the signs well and like their characteristics or whatever. Like it's just interesting to me when I'll meet like a woman, you know, in her 20s or something and she'll be like, what's your sign? And I'll be like, I'm a Leo. And she'll be like, oh, totally. You know, or like. See, I'm a Taurus. Like, what, what most people. Like what shows. <laughs> yeah, Scorpios like get, I think get a bad rap. But like for me, it's like, you know, they'll they'll say like, Oh, like very solemnly. Oh, you're a Taurus. And like my brother's like, my brother, yeah, my brother gets into it and he's like, uh, he'll make fun of me. Like, you know, uh, Taurus is like creature comfort or whatever, which I don't know if that's a thing or not, but I don't, I don't think so. I don't feel like I do. Yeah. Stolid. Stolid Stolid and slow moving, I think Mm. is what I'm supposed to be. And that's not so bad. Yeah. I think everybody could gain to slow down a little bit this day and age. Stacy's an Aquarius. Jude, my son, is an Aquarius. Uh, my daughter's a Virgo. I don't know what any of that means. Yeah, I haven't looked into it in depth. Yeah, I care more about the Chinese zodiac. <laughs> no, yeah, <laughs> I'm a dog. I know that. I only know that I from the I'm Chinese restaurant. Yeah, yeah. are the you 86? Nah, dude, I'm so young. 94. 94. Okay, yeah. yeah. So I'm 82. So go by fours. You're a dog yeah. too. Yeah. Giant toddler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's man. That's so wild to think of. Like, it's so cool that you're a dad. Yeah. I feel that that's a very, uh, I just love family, you know? I do too. And, you know, we, like Thanksgiving just happened and it's yeah. like, you know, my brother didn't come back and he's usually there, but, you know, mm. it's it's a very small Thanksgiving, but I was telling everybody this time, it's like when they're off and they have their own families maybe and they come back, you know, it's it's going to grow and grow and grow, which is a really cool thing. Right. You know, we're sort of doing our own thing. Yeah. Yeah, my family, there's like 20 of us now. Jeez. Because of all the That's babies awesome. that That's my right. sisters yeah. have had. And yeah. it's just, it's crazy how quickly it expanded, you yeah. know? And obviously it's been like 20 years, but it still yeah. just feels 
so fast and that it's grown so much like so quickly and then to watch all the kids grow up is just such a wild and beautiful experience time time, it's funny that i immediately jumped on you must have been born in 86 which makes no sense because (laughs) i just don't have any concept of how old anybody (laughs) is but well that's cool though too because i think people get hung up on age a lot of times oh yeah Yeah. you know where like people can rob themselves of some really beautiful relationships because they just think like oh they're too young for me to talk to or too old for me you know and it's like maybe well that's the thing also i think about our community um you know, an artistic minded community where mm. most of the people, you know, value, um, they're just values are, are different than, than maybe a, and there a seems typical... to be a, like a natural openness. That's right. That's you true. know, in yeah. the artistic community, they seem to be more, and I guess that's not true of every artistic community. Cause I felt very like judged in some artistic communities because I oh, don't that. have the knowledge of yeah. Oh, yeah, a yeah. lot of I stuff, you know, saying. or yeah, like yeah. where it's like, yeah. oh, I feel like an idiot, you know? Yeah, that's serious or like, Yeah, and like, yeah. don't say the right words or... When I say artistic, it. I just mean like people like, mostly music, musicians. And, right. And nobody really ever amounted to anything in, in the sense of like, you know, uh, I'm stardom or whatever. I, I right. Bands, friends that are in bands that are pretty big, but like, you know, just people that are uh, concerned, for lack of a better word, with doing something, making something, mm. you know? Yeah, just Which I think creating. is not... Yeah, a lot of people are just, not to denigrate, but a lot of people are just... They're more about like consumption or accruing mm. things. And I feel like this community doesn't value that as much and more values contributing. Yeah. Uh, that sounds. No, I get up, what you're saying though. I meant uh, creating rather yeah. than contributing. Yeah. But it's like a, yeah, just a mutual contribution kind of yeah. realizing that it's like something you can do together too, you know? That's true. Yeah. And I, that's also something too, just about San Antonio in particular. Yeah. I feel it's, like hands down the most down to earth city I've ever lived in and yeah just really friendly oh, yeah. you know like and Texas as a whole really is a pretty wildly friendly place yeah, it is yeah and it's so interesting all the conceptions that people have of Texas yeah that have either never been here or like live outside and yeah you know I I, I want to embrace all of the like things that Texas thinks about itself because I you know even though I was technically not born here i'm from here and i've grown up here and all my family's from here yeah it's you know some of my ancestors were like the first uh settlers and founders of san saba county like that i've like texas rangers and judges and stuff it's like these weren't good people i'm not bragging about (laughs) it they were were probably pretty universally terrible people but they've been here a long time texas thinks about itself in this way that is not uh it's not harmful but it almost gets packaged in with the harmful things that Texas mm. does, you know, like the uh, hatred of immigrants and whatever, even though they're such a huge part of everything Texas has ever right. been. Um, like, it feels like more... But like thinking that we're different and better than everybody, I kind of want to embrace that, you know, because yeah. we are <laughs> different at least. I don't know if we're better. Definitely. But. Yeah, no, I remember always just being surprised at how like much state pride there was yeah. when I didn't live here. Yeah. It's diff- It's like... It it very it sounds cliche, but it thinks of itself as a different country, and it almost kind of is. Kind of feels like it's down to the power grid. Yeah, um, yeah. It's there's it's it's a really cool culture, and what I love about it is like, this is weird, but like, there's nothing really beautiful in Texas, like from a from a like a natural landscape area, and mm. that's painting with a broad brush. But when you go to California, 
First right. time I went to California, and I'm driving up the one on on yeah. one side of the highway. You've got vineyards and mountains, and on the other side, you've got cliffs and so ocean. It's, it is prodigiously beautiful. Yeah. And you can imagine people like starving across the Western United States for months and years, and climbing across the Sierra Nevadas and being like, "Oh my God, yeah, I we actually, made it. This is the, the land of milk and honey." Texas doesn't have. <laughs> Yeah. Don't really have any of yeah. that. There's a lot of flatness and a lot of, you know, West Texas, I think, is beautiful, but it looks kind of like the moon. Right. <laughs> uh, but when you're from here, you know, the hill country, Alaska, I guess, is another example. It's crazy beautiful in Alaska, yeah. but the hill country is almost like I want it to be more beautiful. And so I start to think of it like that. It That's something, too, I've noticed of itself. Like, a place that you spend a lot of time sort of naturally becomes beautiful to yeah, you, I think, because absolutely. of the memory that you And you feel a part of there. it, too. Because, yeah. like, even just going back to Iowa for Christmas, or, I mean, for Thanksgiving this last week, it was, like, just driving around and seeing the sunset and, like, driving on these roads that I have driven on thousands of times yeah. just growing up there. And because in high school, for fun, we would drive around. Like, that's just what we did, you know? Yeah, yeah. And... It's so it's so beautiful to me now. Yeah. After being away from it for a while, and I like appreciate it so much more yeah. after moving away. But there was also too the like because I came to Iowa from Colorado, and in Colorado it was this like prodigious beauty yeah. of yeah. out our front window was yeah. the Never Summer Mountains uh-huh. that like just this huge beautiful mountain range that pretty much always had snow on it and yeah. we lived it. 8,000 feet. And so it was just like, when I moved to Iowa at first, I was like, what is this yeah, place? Yeah. You know, cornfields. Yeah. It's just like corn and the smell of hogs. <laughs> <But> <laughs> you know what I, you know what I remember, um, from the first tour through Iowa was, uh, I told you earlier, I thought Des Moines was really cool. And yeah. I don't know why I was surprised, but I was like, wow, Des Moines like cool little There's area a city here. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, they had liquor on the shelves at the Walmart. Oh, yeah. Which I was like, whoa. And the gas stations. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that <laughs> is weird about Texas. Um, yeah, they got strange liquor laws. The I think that, and I still don't really understand what this is, but I remember like everywhere else they had, they had three levels of gas, but the middle level of gas was cheaper than the lowest level of gas. And it's something about like the, the ethanol, ethanol content. Yeah. yeah. All the corn. Yeah. I was like, There's, what is this place? <laughs> the second one's cheaper? Yeah. What does that make sense? What kind of sense does that make? Man, the Midwest is really a unique and interesting place. Like, I feel so grateful that I've been able to live in yeah. a lot of different places just because of, like, I just love how different so every many, state is, even, yeah. you know? So many artists have come out of the Midwest, especially in, like, the early part of the 20th century. Like, so many... Uh, People came from that, mm. you know, like, you know, Woody Guthrie and, you know, you know, he, he was in the Dust Bowl. I think he was from California, but like, um, you know, Ernest Hemingway, all yeah. these guys like sort of grew up in this small town, Midwest, very polite, and then went on to these great cosmopolitan yeah. Um But it is a, it's a, I think it's a weird place. Um, touring through Oklahoma, I remember, uh, to get over like social anxiety or whatever stage, stage fright, essentially. Uh-huh. We play some art gallery in Norman, Oklahoma, or maybe it was Oklahoma City, and uh, I we we got to the place early, and I was like, oh, I'll buy a six pack, and you know, I'll drink like four of them, and then I'll be totally good to go on this play this show. So I go to the gas station next to the place we're playing, and I buy a six pack of Shiner, and I drink like the whole thing, and I was like, oh man, <laughs> I don't even feel like I'm like buzzed, and I definitely feel like I drank six beers like you know. <laughs> uh 
I didn't realize that Oklahoma has or had at least near beer at the time. Like the retail beer that you bought was like one point oh, something wow. percent alcohol. So I drank this whole six pack of Shiner and uh-huh. got nothing from it. <laughs> I think it might have changed. I mean, you wouldn't go to bars, you could actually get beer, but right. Yeah, That's interesting. Yeah. Midwest is a weird place. <laughs> yeah. It's they definitely like beer up there. Yeah. Like in, I went my family did gotta Christmas in Partyville, Wisconsin one time. Just really randomly. We got like an Airbnb. And it's called Partyville? Yeah, P-A-R-D-E-E-V-I-L-L-E. And I went to one of the bars and drank a little bit. But it's like people, a lot of times it seems like there's good things that come out of boredom, you know, and not a lot to do. And then there's also like alcoholism and drug addiction. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's how... Because like meth in Iowa yeah. was huge oh, for wow. a while. And like yeah. it's... It's crazy. Alaska is the same thing. Like they had fetal alcohol syndrome was a huge scourge in these remote villages because there was fuck all to do, you Mm -hmm. know, like, and these people would like get, you know, drink while they were pregnant and babies are born. Yeah. You know, it's terrible. Man. Huh. It's so wild. I love living in America though. I do too. I do. We're very fortunate for all of our problems. We are insanely fortunate. We've got room for improvement and always will. But I, I do find that there is a lot to celebrate about true. being yeah. raised here and like, that's right. there's a, I don't know. And have you gotten to travel outside of the country much? Yeah. I mean, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think that's something, it's so interesting to me, this kind of trendy hate of America that's so prevalent right now, especially on Twitter, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but like just among my generation, it feels like, you know, or even below me now, it's, there's this really strange kind of just very trend. It feels so trendy to me. I mean, me. I, I feel, I feel seduced by that a little bit. Um, because there is a lot that is, um, kind of backward and a lot that Definitely. is unfair, but the way that I sort of curated myself is first of all, checking my massive, massive privilege, even the way that I was mm. raised being so weird. And I feel like it you know, it set me behind in certain ways, just the, you know, the color of my skin and, and, and the, the way that I look, you know, merits a certain treatment that other people don't get. Mm. And, you know, after that, it's like, yeah, sort of what you said, there's problems and, and there's things that I wish were better and different about this place, but my God, we've got it so good. And, yeah. and our problems, relatively speaking, are people that are problems that I think a lot of people would laugh at. Um, because they're striving to even get there. You know? right. It doesn't mean that they're not problems. They shouldn't be fixed. Yeah, and um, I think a lot of it too is just like how long some of these things have gone unaddressed or yeah, like that's right. we've just been, got, we've gotten good at kind of yeah. brushing them under the rug or whatever. Oh, we're, 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 we're professionals at it. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're the most heavily propagandized place in the world because right. we don't want to deal with our own issues. And I think that's sort of what you're seeing come to the fore because you want to always believe that whatever generation is coming up and from for now it's my kids i want to believe that they're not going to stand for this crap but then you thought like you thought the baby boomers were going to do that they they had it you know in the in the mid to late 60s they they had it they they there was massive cultural shift they had all of the you know cultural power and cultural uh, cachet on their side but then when they grew up they kind of they got seduced by all the other things that were happening and, and uh, you know, sort yeah. of betrayed it. And it, there is this weird, like, cyclical nature to things, Sure, it yeah. seems. But it's also interesting, too, like, just how it seems like it goes in extremes of either direction, kind of. And then with the whole partisan 
like two party system. Yeah. We've gotten so tribal and yeah. like, I like to think based on the experience that I've had of traveling so much in America that like, I have a lot of hope in America, like the people, you know, yeah. that I really do feel that there is a like universal goodness. Yeah. To it's the strange, majority right? of people like, and, and kindness, yeah. you know? Cause if you don't, if you, if you're able to, uh, I like to think about, not to get too political, but I like to think about um, all of us and all of our problems and all of our, you know, uh, similarities and the things that we have in common uh, have a lot more to do with class than they do with some largely arbitrary party alignment or whatever or left and right or whatever. If we thought of ourselves more as a class... I think we'd do a lot better for each other and we'd think a lot differently and, mm. and a lot more would get accomplished in terms of, you know, egalitarianism and, and, and fairness to other people. But we're programmed not to think like that. We're programmed to yeah. divide ourselves by these sort of arbitrary things. And it's not, I don't want to minimize, a lot of the things that people politicize are really harmful to people. And right. um, it's not to trivialize that. But I think a lot of those things are, are bandied about and propagandized to the effect of keeping us separate. But if you go out in the world and you travel the country and you're not talking about somebody's politics or whatever, um, you tend to generally try to get along. Yeah. There was a really good book that, um, John Steinbeck wrote. It was, it was a, a travel log, I guess you would call it travels with Charlie Hmm. where he takes his dog and he buys a pickup truck and he puts a camper, like a, like a little sleeper on the back. Yeah. Sleeper on the back. And he travels around America in 1959, 1960. And he's John Steinbeck, right? So he's somewhat recognizable from his book jacket or whatever. But right. it's 1959, so he's not Still like... pretty early. It's not like Justin Timberlake doing it. You know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, he was, you know, noted noted socialist, noted left-wing ideolo- ideologue, uh, wrote a lot about the problems with America, traveled through America, and kind of came to the same conclusion that we're talking about, yeah. which was like... You could see someone's politics maybe or you could see someone's class even, but on a genuine personal level, uh, there was so much more in common right. than there was. And to so divide. much of it too is like the environments that people are raised in yeah. just kind of they naturally adopt these That's ideologies right. because yeah. it's what they were raised with, you know, That's and right. it's like how they've been taught to understand the world. Yeah. And so That's it's exactly right. It's so it's really sad to me how quickly people will write off people at the first notion of what they think is an understanding of their political ideology, you know? Well, I was certainly raised to be a racist and Mm. had to, you know, uh, escape that and move on, uh, on my own. And you're right. The hope is there that a lot of people do. It, it's discouraging to see the perpetuation of that, especially in young people to your point, simply because they're told that. Right. Um, cause it's not a natural state of being obviously. Um, but it's, you know, I, I think for my kids' generation, I I, I want to think that they're not going to put up with it as much. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, who knows? Yeah, I'm a pretty chronic optimist, and so yeah. I, me too. I have quite a bit of hope. You know, like I'm, I don't think, it's yeah. like the end necessarily. No, no, you no, know? no. But like, it'll just be different, and that's the thing right. about change, and that's what scares so many people of of the of the political right, is change, and you can't. Mm-hmm you can't ascribe a, a goodness or a badness to change. It's right. just, um, we're animals. That's just the way that it, it is. happens. Yeah. yeah. But that book's a good book. It's a really, really, it's I'd an like easy to read. read. It. 
it's especially good because we both love dogs. Yeah. Um, he takes his poodle, uh, <laughs> and drives around the country his poodle, Charlie. And, uh, yeah, just his experiences, you know, it's I've, super cool. I read a book called a walk across America by Peter Jenkins. I think is his was name. Was that the guy? My brother, I think, might have read that when we were kids. It was a guy yeah. who walked he, across America, yeah. basically. Yeah. And he did it from like up north, like New Hampshire or something up north. Yeah. Down I don't south. remember the, color, the cover of that book. Yeah. yeah. But he did it with his dog, too. He had like a Alaskan Malamute or something. Nice. And that was a really, my mom recommended it to me. And it made, it just kind of made me think about the same thing that we're talking of. Just like, yeah. he had so many cool stories of people just being so hospitable and yeah. like, quick to help, you know, and yeah, I find that I really do have so much faith in humanity, yeah. <laughs> you know, like in spite of all the terrible things that we've done as humans, I still think that there is like a pervasive love yeah. that's there, you know, or, yeah. I mean, I, it's easier, I think for us to be, <laughs> to be optimistic, right. uh, not that Just, we shouldn't be, but, um, and I don't, we don't, I mean, we don't have to constantly disclaim everyone else's struggles. It's a, it's a, sure. it's an issue. Um, but yeah, you're right. I think that, um, my kids, they obviously were raised a certain way. Right. And they were the th things that I don't think of as political, but you know, um, you know, acceptance of every, everyone's lifestyle and everyone's, uh, color of their skin and culture and, and whatever else, um, background that's not controversial to them, you know? And right. I think that that's probably, I hope that that's true of a lot of people because somehow for our generation and especially the older generations, uh, I'm sorry to put you in my generation. No, I like <laughs> it. It's good. That, that like people being people is a controversial thing and, uh, yeah. it really shouldn't be. But, and I think that's too, I mean, like that's one of the things you can notice as a positive side effect of technology and social media and oh, everything yeah. is like, yeah. It's, it's never been easier to just be aware of what all the other places in the world and cultures yeah. and like just different life yeah. lives that there are. That's true. You know, I never like, thought about it that way, but they, they went to a school called the international school. Uh, oh, cool. And it's very focused on that. They like learn about other cultures, do a model UN and stuff and learn about uh, things that I never learned about, which is, you know, life is different in a lot of different places and sort of what we talked about. Mm -hmm. We, we haven't really well here. Um, but also, um, it's not like it's, it's, uh, a struggle necessarily everywhere else, but the, to appreciate those cultures, um, for things that they, you know, they do better than we do. I yeah. guess. And I think, I just feel like everybody should travel more. Yeah. Like, I, I recommend doing it with your dog. I learn. recommend whatever you're doing, do it with your dog. Yeah. Heck yeah. <laughs> Man. Well, Jared, we just did another 40 minutes. Nice. So it's easy. You got any final thoughts first? Where can people find your music? I know yeah. you're on Bandcamp as El Campo. Yep, El Campo's on Bandcamp. Um, I'm not sure if Stegosaur is or not. That's more of a catch as catch can. You got to, you know, hand, somebody hands you that's a fun. record. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, that's, uh, yeah, Bandcamp, I guess, is it. Awesome. And I guess if I get this podcast out, you're playing at. Hotel Vegas yep, in Sunday Austin. Night. Yep, 12 Sunday night. Yep. Sunday night. Okay, cool. So the day that this airs. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Perfect. So just drive down from Iowa. Yeah. And check you me out. Make it. <laughs> I did that drive just the other day and it was like 16 hours. I oh, left at God. 6 a.m. and got yeah. home at 2.30 a.m. I've done it on tour. I, I, I didn't go that far, but yeah, I, mean, I was, did it in one sitting. But 
What I'm excited about is right next door to the venue is Via 31, not next door, but down the street is Via 313 Pizza. Have you had that? I haven't. It's Detroit-style pizza. Oh. So like the casserole Thick pizza. Thick stuff, yeah. Oh, man, it's good. Man. Get right that on. and play everything like half time. I should come up. I have a reason to go to Austin. You should, Sunday. yeah. That'd be yeah. fun. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, Jared, thank you so much, dude. Thanks for Such me. a pleasure. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. <laughs>